0: Well, we appreciate the opportunity last week to have a couple former pastors to speak, and uh, now we are coming back to the book of Nehemiah. We are in Nehemiah chapter 10, Nehemiah chapter 10. I've noticed as we've been studying this book that the first half of Nehemiah is dealing with rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, but the second half is rebuilding their spiritual lives of the people. Both are very important. Now, as we were here two weeks ago, we saw that Nehemiah's people made a firm covenant with the Lord to obey him. They even signed their names to that decision. And uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 27, deals with their names. And because they're all names, I'm not going to read those verses this morning. I'm going to read Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 28 to 39 this morning. You follow along as I read. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethinim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined hands with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath. To walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the peoples of the land brought wares of or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. Also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God." For the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering, and the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the set feasts, for the holy things, for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God according to our fathers' houses at the appointed times year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. And we made ordinances to bring the firstfruits of our ground and the firstfruits of all the fruit of all trees year by year to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle as is written in the law and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who ministered in the house of our God, to bring the firstfruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of our God. God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, for the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities. And the priests, the descendants of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouses." For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offerings of the grain of the new wine and the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who ministered and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. Father, we come in your presence today and pray that, Lord, you would give us understanding as we look at what the children of Israel promised to do and how they promised and they carried out their commitment. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, promises are easy, but change is hard. Here in this passage of Scripture, we're going to see the firm commitment was followed by faithful obedience. Let me say that again. Their firm commitment was followed by by faithful obedience. Now, it's easy to make promises. You know, you make promises on a lot of things in life. And you can even make good promises to the Lord. But do you keep them? Well, we're going to see the three areas where they actually kept the promises that they made and make application to our life. Now, I realize that a lot of what they're doing is following the, the legal requirements in the law of God to offer sacrifices, to bring the tithes, to offer their sons a service in the temple and keep the Sabbath. All of these are under the Jewish economy. But there's so many helpful applications that we can make today. The first evidence that they intended to keep their promise and to change their ways is they submitted to a biblical lifestyle in verse 28 and verse 29. The first thing they did is separated from the heathen surrounding them in verse 28. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeeper, the Nephanim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God. So what does that mean for them? Well, the Jewish remnant was surrounded by idolatrous Gentiles who wanted the Jews just to become a part of their social, their religious, and their business society. But the law of Moses prohibited God's people from living like the Gentiles. Oh, it didn't stop the Jews from being good neighbors and good business customers or Being good witnesses to the surrounding nations, but they were not to behave, adopt the lifestyle of the heathen around them. And it was the ministry of the priests to teach the Jews how they were supposed to live different. Of course, one of those was the dietary requirements. The Jews were not allowed to eat certain things. God did that so that they could mark them out as separate. They were not allowed to eat pork. I am so glad that I am not a Jew. I'm so glad that we're not under the law because I broke one of those commandments just this morning and had some bacon for breakfast. Now, we're not under the law because Christ died to free us from that Old Testament ceremonial law, the civil law, the dietary law, and they also had certain garments that they had to wear, and there was certain uh, washings and clean and unclean, and the Levites had to teach the people. For them, it was committing to live under a biblical lifestyle. But what is it for us? Well, what is the application? We are not to live like the unsaved pagan world around us. The Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter 6, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Verse 17, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. What is it saying? Well, it's not saying don't hang around unsaved people. It's not saying don't have anything to do with it. It's saying don't allow your, your, your worldly fellowships to influence your life. And a yoke is a strong bond. In other words, don't marry someone who's an unbeliever. Don't go into business with someone who's an unbeliever. Don't have those partnerships with people who don't have the same biblical values as you do. Well, it's nature determines association. A pig has a pig's nature, and he just loves to fellowship with other pigs in the mud hole. And that is fine. But a sheep has a sheep's nature, and they love to, to munch grass on a hillside. Now, I find that a lot of times Christians love to play in the pig pen with the pigs. In other words, they adopt a lifestyle that is so contrary to God's word. Too many of our Lord sheep are playing in the mud hole. Let me make a practical example. I believe we as Christians should live differently than the unsaved world in First of all, our speech. The one thing that is bothering me, it's been bothering me for for months and months, is it seems like society is becoming uncivilized and they drop the F word everywhere. I see it just two houses away from me. There's a big flag with that word. I don't care what is the point. They're using that word on that. I see people I went into to a pizza place. And the person behind that had a big F word. I just said, that's the last time I'm going to buy their pizza if they don't care how they talk, how they post things with that word on it. I put that in the newspaper uh, yesterday, Saturday. I'm I'm glad that they're printing my moment of meditations every week and I probably will hear from it uh, in the letters to the editor. But I just think that God's people should talk differently. I mean, I, I wasn't allowed to say those words when I was a kid and we shouldn't say them as an adult either. So I think that our language should be different. Our dress should be different. Our thinking should be different. Our behavior should be different. We need to separate ourselves from the unsaved, foul mouth. difficult and different way of living that the unsaved have. We need to separate from sin unto God. Touch not the unclean thing is what Israel did. Not only did they do that negatively, they obeyed the word of God positively. Verse 29 says this, These joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and, listen, to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God, the Lord our Lord, and its ordinance and statutes. In other words, they followed the Bible, not just in what it says not to do, but what it says to do. And some of the things that they were supposed to do, in this biblical lifestyle and obeying the word of God. And that is something that you and I need to say as well. Our authority is God's word. The Bible says in Second Timothy 3.16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word needs to be what we look at to see how we ought to live. Okay, the Bible says we need to do this. Well, we need to do it. It says we need to be baptized. Well, we need to be baptized. It says we need to, to love our brothers and sisters. We, we need to do all of these commandments. And they, they begin to adapt a biblical lifestyle. Now, sometimes change is hard. And a lot of times it goes against our natural way of living. But when we make a promise to follow God, we need to follow Him. Another area is they were exemplary in their work life. Well, their promises to follow God not only applied to church and visiting the temple, but applied on their day-to-day work. How did it affect their work life? In verse 31, notice the first thing it did. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day as we would forgo the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. Well, of course, the Jews were under the law and one of the commandments is to remember the Sabbath day. And they were not to do any work on that Saturday. They were not supposed to do any work. And when the vendors would come into the city of Jerusalem to sell things, the Jews would shut down the city. They would not allow any buying, selling, trading on the Sabbath because that was the day that God had set apart. And so it affected their work life. Now, we're not under that Old Testament law of remembering the Sabbath and not working on the seventh day. But the principle is make sure that Christian living affects your business world, affects your day-to-day life. Well, how would that affect? Well, We need to honor God by being fair in our business, to be honest when we deal with people, keeping our promises, paying our bills, not cheating, being courteous in our dealings with everyone. Our living for Jesus is not just about singing praises to him on Sunday, but how our telephone conversation is on Monday. Are we behaving like a Christian when we're on the phone to someone? Can people tell that we are a believer in Jesus Christ by our texts and our Facebook posts? Or are they wondering, you know, what is that all about? We need to live like Jesus wherever we are in the world, in our civil work, and in our jobs as well. The evidence that there was a change is because they began to live a biblical lifestyle. The second evidence of change, they prioritized the sanctity of marriage in verse 30. Now, the first thing that they did, they, they promised not to intermarry with the surrounding nations. Verse 30. We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take the daughters for our sons. Now, it's very tempting. Very tempting, uh, you're living around these people, you know them from work, you know them from business or people coming there and they're not believers in God, maybe they worship a different God, maybe they don't have the same biblical lifestyle and the temptation is that, well, they've got some money, <laughs> uh, maybe that person is pretty high in society and if my daughter would marry them, they would uh, have a, a good nest egg and we think of all of these things and perhaps we even think of affection. You know, hey, I fell in love. So that explains everything, you know, marry somebody you love. Well, there's some biblical standards here. They were not to intermarry with those that did not believe in Jehovah God, according to the Word of God. It was in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3 and 4. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Well, there was a danger of mixed marriages that they would take their heart away from the Lord, and that happens today too. A lot of times we think that, well, I'll marry that person. They might not, uh, they kind of, they're not against God. (laughs) They believe in God. They might not be saved, but just watch when we get married then they'll start coming to church with me, and they'll be—I'll uh, be a missionary, <laughs> uh, folks. That—if—if if that happens, praise God. But a lot of times, it doesn't happen. As a matter of fact, they might even get further away from God after the marriage. Got that girl? Now I can just live with how I want to, <laughs> or, or whatever. We need to understand the biblical principle of marriage is so important. And the Bible talks about marriage being married in the Lord. Someone who knows the Lord as your Savior. Marry in the Lord. Solomon is an example of that because he married many foreign wives. And later on in his life, even though he was the wisest man in the world, the Bible says that. He, his heart, turned away from God in his later years. So we see that it's dangerous. But the Bible puts an emphasis on the family unit. The family is so important with God. And the home is the first inroad that the enemy will seek to infiltrate to do his damage in our families. I come across this excellent quote on... The family. I'll tell you who it is after I read this quote, but the importance of the family in our country. The family has always been the cornerstone of American society. Our families nurture, preserve, and pass on to each succeeding generation the values we share and cherish, values that are the foundation of our freedoms. In the family, we learn our first lessons of God and man and love and discipline, rights and responsibilities, human dignity and human frailty. Our families give us daily examples of these lessons being put into practice. In raising and instructing our children, in providing personal and compassionate care for the elderly, in maintaining the spiritual strength of religious commitment among our people, in these and other ways... America's families make immeasurable contribution to America's well-being. Today, more than ever, it's essential that these contributions not be taken for granted and that each of us remember that the strength of our families is vital to the strength of our nation. President Ronald Reagan said that many years ago. The family is being deteriorated, folks. Folks, and and the more and more society in, tries to, the devil uses that to try to break up the families through divorce, through through all kinds of uh, internal conflicts in the home. And we need to fight it and build strong families. The third evidence that they intended to keep their promises to God is their supported their support of the house of God, verses thirty-two to thirty-nine. As I read that long passage of Scripture of what they were promising to do in relation to the temple services, nine times we had reference to the house of the Lord. And it, of course, refers to the restored temple. The people were promising that they would obey God's and his laws and provide what was necessary for the ministry of the temple that was going on. Now, we know that God does not just live in houses where we assemble to worship him. He didn't live in the temple as he doesn't live in this. God is, uh, he is all, everywhere present. He is everywhere. But I believe that uh, we honor him when we take care of his house. It's a way of showing him respect. The restored Jewish temple didn't have the magnificence of Solomon's temple, but it was God's house just the same and deserved the support of God's people. Now, there were certain areas that they promised to take care of. The first one is they supported the temple services financially. They were giving their tithes in verses 32 and 33. The tithes were given to maintain the ministry of, of the temple. And we do the same thing. In First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. That is how The work of the Lord is going forward, is by the tithes of God's people, by the giving of offerings and tithes to the church. We pay our bills for the upkeep of the house of the Lord to come and worship him. We also support missionaries that are sent around the world to preach the gospel. We support the members of the staff that are involved in doing the work of the ministry, helping people within our church with their financial needs. All of these are... A way of giving to the house of the Lord and showing it. The little boy didn't want to give his money in church. He was hanging on to it for dear life. And his mom said, son, you need to drop that money in the offering plate when it comes near you because it's tainted. The little boy said, it's tainted. So the offering plate, he dropped it in there. And on the way home, he said, mommy, you said... That money was tainted. Does it mean that it was dirty? Oh, no, son. It's not tainted because it's dirty. It is taint yours. It taint mine. It's God's. (laughs) I think that little boy finally learned that lesson. You know, God's been gracious to us, everything that He's given us is His, it's not ours and we give a portion of that back, it belongs to the Lord. In light of all that God's done for us, how can we rob him of the offerings that rightly belong to him? You know, in uh, a prophet by the name of Haggai, just a little bit of time before Nehemiah said, had to rebuke the people because they were so busy taking care of their own houses, they had neglected the house of God. I think that where a church is growing, a church is revived, that is when uh, we see they're supporting their own local church. Well, they not only gave their tithes, but they also contributed wood and crops and animals and their sons. They, They brought all of these things to the temple. This is a way of their giving their service to the ministry of the Lord, and today we give our service to the local church. I am delighted when I, I have an opportunity to be around a bunch of God's people working for the Lord. And there is, a, there is an energy and there is a joy. Just this last Thursday when we had the Thanksgiving dinner, 108 people were there. And there was a team of people that were in the kitchen. They were lined up serving the food. They were cleaning up. They were preparing. And there's joy there's, there's an electric joy that is there. I see that on Tuesday night when all these Awana kids are running around and the leaders are there and they're serving them dinner. They're teaching them the Word of God. They're, they're individually helping them memorize the Scriptures and they're playing games. There's joy in the choir. You know, they, they look like they're happy doing that, you know. They, they have the joy of the Lord on their On their faces. And whenever we can get involved in doing something whether small, whether by ourselves, there is joy in serving the Lord. And the people in Nehemiah's day, they they chopped wood. And they brought the wood to the house of the Lord for the sacrifices on the burnt offering. They, They brought their animals. They even give their sons for a time to work in the house of the Lord. It was a way they could serve the Lord. I remember in the Gospels when Jesus wanted to feed this multitude. <laughs> and Andrew was looking around the crowd and all he found, food <laughs> to share with everybody. found this little boy that had, you might say, a sack lunch. And that's what he had. And he put that in Jesus' hands. What do you have? What kind of skill or talent or just plain work that you can use to serve the Lord. We have so many opportunities to do that. Here you can sing, you can organize, you can clean, you can work in nursery or wana, or a choir or a prayer group or visiting or youth. What are you contributing to service to the Lord? There's one other thing that I want to point out to you about their, their uh, They did not neglect the house of their God. Notice in verse 29. All of these people, the gatekeepers, the singers, said, We will not neglect the house of our God. Can you say that? I will not neglect the house of God. COVID really took a a toll on a lot of people, brought a lot of fear, a lot of concern. I think it's time that all of God's people, I will not neglect the house of God with my attendance. If I'm physically able, mentally, physically able to get there, I'm going to be there. I'm going to do what I can. Even if I physically can't do much, I know one thing I can do I can pray for the pastor, I can pray for the deacons in the choir. I can, I can give what I have to the Lord, even if I have to send it on ahead. I will not neglect the house of God. You know, promises are easy, but following up is important. We need to make sure that we not only make firm commitments, but they need to be followed by faithful obedience. Perhaps the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart today about an area of your life that you need to not neglect, you need to take care of, you need to make sure that you're honoring the Lord. If you're here and you don't know for sure if your sins have been forgiven, please talk to me and I can show you from God's Word how you can be sure that you've been saved and trusting Christ as Savior. If perhaps you need to get busy serving the Lord in some capacity, there's so many ways that you can choose to be involved. Don't just say, yes, Lord, show it with your life, we pray. Father, we come in your presence today and thank you very much for the example of Nehemiah and his people who not only signed on the dotted line, they began to live that biblical lifestyle. And I know, Lord, it's hard. Sometimes our own flesh fights us. I don't feel good about doing this, but I want to obey my Lord. And I pray, Father, if there's someone here that needs to make some kind of decision in their life, needs to make a change in their life, God, may you prick their heart and show them the change they need to make. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand as we sing our closing song?